Welcome to Clock Choke, a grappling culture podcast by Shoiro. Another podcast we're jumping on with longtime friend Stefan Kosif, a big contributor of the brand for a long period of time. Stefan's Krong Gracie, Dixon Gracie, Black Belt, been around the early days of Jiu Jitsu in California, um, taking some uh, amazing photos throughout the time, uh, stuff that you've probably seen before, but also runs Bodhi Casa, sober living facility. We did dive in a bunch on just on mental health, staying active, family, and um, just a bunch of other stuff. So without further ado, let's jump straight in and talk with Stefan. Stefan, thank you for joining us. How are you doing and what you up to today? Good, good, Vince. Thanks for having me on here. Um, stoked you guys having me be a part of this. Just cruising, getting the day started. Did a little yoga this morning, a little meditation. Got my kids um, rolling with school. Okay. Well, I mean, I know you're, I know you're huge on family and getting outdoors, and I think we're going to dive into that um, a little bit like towards the end. But before we jump into that, let's jump straight into the jujitsu stuff. And um, not many, a lot of people don't know like our relationship and kind of what we've done, but like you shot photos for us for a long period of time and helped us and helped curate the vibe and the mood of the brand for a ton of time. And, you know, you've been instrumental in just helping the look of and the vibe of what we've done for a long time. So I deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate it uh, on my side, but kind of going into that, many people don't know, like you're a super seasoned black belt from Hickson Gracie and been around it in the West coast scene for a long time. So why don't you just like let us in on how you first discovered jujitsu and kind of where that started for you? Yeah, cool. And I'm, I'm grateful for everything I've been able to do with Shoei Roll. But my jiu-jitsu journey, I've always been involved. My mom put me in martial arts since I was maybe four or five years old. I started with um, her friend did kickboxing. And um, then I was in Shotokan karate and I did Kung Fu Sansu. And I was just always kind of around martial arts. And my best friend, too, was into... We trained martial arts all growing up. And maybe when I was around 17 or 18 years old, he started training jujitsu with Hickson up in the Palisades. And they had, um, I think it's Jerry Blank's karate studio. And what was, year was this roughly? It would have been 97. I think I got exposed around 97, 98. And um, they weren't at the Pico Academy anymore. They were up in in the Palisades and they used to share this space that was like a ballet studio slash karate studio slash jujitsu academy. We'd have to pick up and stack the mats um, every day because it was a shared space. And so I was around jujitsu and that's when I met Hoxon and that was kind of my, my peer group. That was my introduction through my best friend and kind of Hoxon. I never heard of jujitsu and um, I was around it and I really wasn't training super consistently. I was kind of struggling in my life a little bit. Um, but then probably around 2000, I started training and um, under Hickson and then through 2002 and 2003, we, they switched the academy towards the Wilshire Academy. And I've been there that. Yeah, for really my whole journey. And then Hickson went to Brazil and Crone was, um, 
when I started, Chrome was in the kids class. So, but so just to started- slow it down, just to slow it down a little bit, right there at that time, Stefan, uh, like the early days, Venice, Santa Monica, the West Side, like right before mm-hmm. they switched to the Wilshire um, Academy. Um, how how was that? How was that like coming up with Hoxton? Not many people know um, Hoxton. A lot of people know Cron. Um, but how was that like coming up with Hoxton and Cron coming up as you know a kid, a kid Orange Belt or whatever he was at the time, and you kind of being involved. Like ninety nine two thousand ish. I mean, jujitsu in general. After doing martial arts growing up, I think I had a false reality of what I thought I was capable of. And then jujitsu is this massive. You know, it just humbles you, no matter you know where you are in the journey. There's always somebody who humbles you. But back then, I just remember being really humbled, and um, yeah, there was this whole energy of all these young kids training jujitsu, and we were running around and surfing and skating and um yeah and just like partying and training jujitsu and kind of like all this different energy than I'd ever been exposed to you know and the hawks and passing away was like heavy pivotal time in my life and I was kind of going down the another dark road and jujitsu became an anchor for me and like a really safe place to put my energy as things start to turn around and um, I don't know where I would be without that, you know, that I was able to just go into the Academy twice a day and train and um, get injected into this community and support and have like a release from my emotions. And um, it was just like a really powerful force in my life. My parents had been divorced. My dad was, you know, on the run He'd been living in Mexico. He lived in Mexico for like the last 20 years of his life. And so you just became like this really safe place for me, you know? Uh, I, I, I think me and you started roughly around, I think the same time, right? Like 99, 2000. And I can remember vividly like how it was back then going to your first Copa Pacifica tournament or Joe Marrera tournament, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, Huntington Beach high school or, you know, Costa Mesa, 24 hour fitness or Irvine, 24 hour fitness, whatever the, whatever the venue was. Right. And I, I, I remember like it was yesterday, um, going into these tournaments, being a spectator white belt and just kind of like consuming the culture and environment of what it was. And like, like I remember Hoxton being a purple belt, like, smashing the scene and I, I don't know, Henry Aikens was maybe a purple belt at the time. Um, Henry was like, I don't know, blue belt, you know, or green belt and Huron might've been purple belt. Um, but I remember that time of Hickson's guys, like m- many people may, may not realize it now. Cause that, that's like, that was a long time ago, but like Hickson's crew, like they were it. Like, as far as like the competition scene, like, like they would like mop up, everybody like they were pretty much one of the best competition teams of that time at least in the west coast you know along with like of course you have the machado army and they were heavily into sport at that time and of course the half gracie crew from up north um but you know and then paragon was just on the rise at that time but between those guys i think eddie bravo was like a purple belt and maybe the carlson gracie guys also i'm sorry i forgot about them um but for me that was like a golden era for the west coast between like 2000 to 2005, 2006. Um, how was that for you um, in, in that era, kind of being with Hickson and the crew at that time and any wild stories those, during those times? Or 
Yeah, I remember all that. Just like a flashback with the Copa Pacifica and then Pan Ams and everything was in really just in like small high school gymnasiums. And there was the one tournament up in Santa Cruz was always the big deal. Um, and Lamone was there for a little bit and then he went to Hawaii. Um, yeah, Shane and Henry were brown belts. Kevin Casey was remember a blue that. belt. Yep, Kevin Casey. Um, Chris Saunders was there. He's like an old school from Choke. He used to do the belt test. And we, yeah, we would go in there. There was a big kind of rivalry between, I don't know, rivalry, but like Shane especially was, um, and Paragon with Jeff Glover. They had a lot of battles going on I for a long time. That. Yeah, and that was that. like a, a big thing. So we would fight a lot of the, I remember going competing the first time in the Copa Pacifica and I, as white belt, the clubbers tournament, there was always like two experiences. Once as a white belt, once purple belt, but they accidentally put me in two divisions. So I was running from like Matt one to Matt six back and forth. They kept calling my name and I got to the, um, the finals in the end. And when I went to the, I ended up getting bronze in both, but I ended up like not realizing that I had, it was like so disorganized. And then as a, um, a purple belt going against a Paragon guy. And then, um, they let their, the, like his instructor ref our match, you know, that was like, <laughs> totally what was going to happen at Clever's <laughs> tournament, you know, but, um, yeah, that energy was cool. Like I there was this kind of idea at least that I'm grateful for too, that, um, you know, at any time you kind of had to like lay it on the line and I had to test for every one of my belts. We had to fight for our belts. So they had belt tests every six months or so. And they get about six to eight guys. You come in on Saturday just for my blue stripe was like four or five hours and you'd have to battle it out. And if you, um, you know, if you couldn't, they try and tire you out. And if you couldn't hang, they'd ask you to leave and you couldn't come back, you know, for another six months to a year. So afterwards, I don't know, I just felt like when I got my blue belt or a blue stripe, just like a Hicks and Gracie soldier or something, you know, ready to die or it's <laughs> like a different, different energy that guys are going to come in, you know, to the academy. We may have to fight. And um, so the roots right there was just like, I think jujitsu is different. You know, it's always growing, but I'm grateful for that. I feel like that I got that base in, um, in that time. And there was a lot of, really, really good guys, you know, things have spread and shifted in that academy all at one time. And that was, um, that really helped me a lot and like helped guide me. And just again, going back to that community, like being there for one another, but we used to like, you know, play war in the academy where it was like one side of the like street fight gang fights against the other. And we'd square off or, you know, two blue belts against a white belt. You have to survive for a couple minutes and guys would be bleeding or the no gi class was always like open hand slaps, always having to be aware that you could get, you know, hit and having this kind of like universal idea of jujitsu, having to work in all situations from a self-defense from in the gi and no gi and MMA. Um, and yeah, yeah. And, um, how, how is it, how is it in those days? How is it those days? Um, cause I, I, ne I never got an insider, like an insider's view, right. And on how it was training, but, um, 
just with what I used to like think like Hoxton was super duper fascinating. Just like, you know, he's the son of Hickson, of course. So like, mm-hmm. you know, like at tournaments, everybody's watching him. He has an intensity about him when he competes. So there's just an aura, right? It's like be Michael Jordan's son, at least, but it just in jujitsu. Right. So, um, but like, how is it competing with him and training with him at the gym and like that energy of, you know, him, Henry, Kevin, all the guys, right. Kind of in the gym together. How was that experience in general? You know, honestly, I didn't like where it was in my life. I was around Hoxon outside of the academy more, but I didn't spend a lot of time training with him. I've spent my most time training with Crone, you know, growing up and Crone coming up um, and growing and maturing through his whole jujitsu career and then being able to benefit from being around him and training with him. I mean, he's been, I got my blue belt and under Hickson, but then Crone gave me my purple, brown, and black bow. And on, on shifting a little bit on that side, shifting eras, um, and maybe because you got more mature with time and your head changed in the space that you were kind of in back then, do you, do you find it like drastically different um, comparing like early Wilshire days? Um, um, and then also the, the competition, the energy, the scene, the vibe of what the, the gym and environment was compared to what it was, let's say maybe at... Crohn's gym five years ago or seven, seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, now, unfortunately the Academy closed, you know, which has been crazy with COVID, but, um, you know, pre COVID there's always tough guys, but there was a generation, I think with the, I believe a lot in the belt testing. Um, I, I believe in that system and like the, having to understand jujitsu, I think it makes you, I think there's different lines to the black belt. You know, some is some guys are going to be great competitors. Other are going to be great teachers. But the belt, you know, testing, for instance, helped you to have to really know and understand what you were doing and be able to not only train it, but explain it so that if someone new came in off the street, you'd be able to help that white belt, you know, and pass that that on. So there's a generation of guys who I think were very, very technical um, and knew what they were doing and could pass that knowledge down. Um, and the environment was just a lot more, there was just energy around fighting and whether or not Hickson would fight again and then Crone competing. So that was just way more intense energy. Um, Shane was also like competing in MMA and had a couple belts at the time and won no gi worlds. So it was just a, lot, a lot more competitive energy. I think back in the Wilshire days and it was just like raw you know, small, no showers, just like close the door steaming and just like training and training and training and training. I would train sometimes three times a day, just, you know, sweating it out in there and um, just living and breathing jujitsu. And I think the new Academy was just much nicer and things evolve and um, still really good. But just back in those days was just a, a different type of more for me, at least like intense kind of fierce energy around jujitsu. And, um, I'm grateful for that experience. How, how, how do you, how do you see that transition from th- those times we were talking about? And I'm just kind of like re- relate a time. Like, so let's say that was 2000 to 2003, 2005 ish, right. Roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, like Kickson's team, they had like one of the best competition teams at the time. Right. And then that kind of played itself out with time and then, um, and then it transitioned a little bit, but then, so I remember, 
around that time, I don't even know what year it was. Let's just say it's from 2005 to 2010 ish, right? Whatever. Um, but then I remember like, you, like, you know, you didn't see Hickson's team out so much, at least on the competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. But then I do remember vividly like Kron getting older with time. Right. And it's like, okay, Kron's a, Kron's a blue belt. He's jumping in a tournament. Right. Like, Oh, cool. He won. He smashed everybody. Cool. And it's like, okay, there's a Hickson guy, you know? Um, and I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of other tough Hickson guys that were competing at the, at the time. Um, but more so Kron, he had that, he had, the, um, he had the magnifying glass on him, you know? Um, and then mm -hmm. it's like, Oh no, Kron's like competing at purple ball again. And he's smashing everybody again. But for you, like, it seemed like, Oh shit. Like the Hickson guys are back, you know, but through Kron, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, mm -hmm. how was that experience? Kind of like, you know, him being like, the next wave of like carrying the flag for like Hicks and Gracie jujitsu, you know, when, you know, at one time the whole team re reigned supreme and just like with time it changed and things happened. But then he was kind of like emerging again, like as like basically the best sport jujitsu competitor, you know, through purple brown, you know, and then kind of going into black. How was that for you since you were closer to it at that time? In regards to training with Crone? Yeah. And just kind of like watching that new wave of like, you know, you guys now have like, someone to like, you know, like maybe in, you know, back in 2000 to 2005, like you guys were, you know, like you guys ran Supreme. So you guys could cheer for somebody that like carried the flag and then a little, little wave went where it maybe like a few years, but then again, like you have this new resurgence of somebody carrying the flag of, you know, the Hickson flag and everybody gets like root for this, this person, you know, and it just so happened to be Kron. Yeah. I think there was like a way more, structured so like environment in the very beginning to support competition but then you know there's a lot of big life changes that changed that and people started going in different directions and then chrome was there to carry the torch and um and being able to train and like watch him grow and mature and it just it made me believe even more and more in our style of jujitsu and we've never been like a very I don't know if we've ever been a very competition like minded school in the way that other schools probably approach competition and training to win and score points and understanding that whole thing. It's always been like a survival of the fittest, you know, and training hard and having jujitsu that doesn't depend on time or doesn't depend on points and finding the connection and going, you know, for the submission constantly. I think that's always been like the bigger focus. But watching Crone come up and, you know, even having conversations with him about, um, you know, him believing in his own style of jiu-jitsu and then watching him be, be able to express that and do that and go to ADCC and submit everyone. And um, I feel like, like really put it on the line. There's not a lot of other of the family members um, that were really, you know, putting that on the line and, um, you know, being Hickson's son and, and again, like being underneath that and having to really forge his own path and, and make his own way. Um, and just going around, I remember I've, I've been to a lot of seminars where I've trained with a lot of different guys, but going like traveling with Crone to Japan and Korea and Australia and doing seminars and watching him, you know, end the seminar by lining up everyone in the, um, seminar and training with them until he, you know, taps everyone and like there being 10, 15, 20 black belts and just being willing to put himself out there like that, which I haven't seen other people made me believe a lot in like our style of jujitsu 
kind of, I don't know if you want to call it like the basics or refining the basics and, you know, what I was doing and training. So I feel grateful to have come up in that culture, you know, and competition was never really like a big goal of mine. I've always just loved jujitsu for the sake of jujitsu. And I really like helping people, you know, and giving back. That's, I feel like been my, my bigger piece and contribution, whether that's through photography or, you know, just through teaching and helping other people. And I got that through that experience, you know, of watching that grow. And what you just said was like kind of mind blowing, right? Like just crawling specifically on seminars and, you know, sparring with five or 10 black belts. Like um, most people, like they don't like, they try not to do that just because it's you're, you're, you're exposing yourself a lot, right? It doesn't matter if you're the best jujitsu person in the world. If you're sparring with like five or 10 black belts, you're, there's a big possibility that you might kind of like get caught, you know? And for him to do that, it's just like, it's kind of wild to me, you know? Like that's, it says a lot about kind of like the person as far as just trying to put it out there and just doing what you do, you know? So that's, that's super rad on the, and transitioning a little bit kind of like onto what people don't know on your side, on the Bodhi Casa side. Um, people don't know that you run, you know, that's what you do. Um, and that's a big part of what you do. Can you share a little bit and about kind of Bodhi Costa and what that is to you and tell us about like, you know, what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. And I feel really fortunate or blessed in my life that everything I do, um, I really am passionate about and I love, you know, and I think right now there's like a lot of adversity right happening in the world and people aren't used to adversity but like out of my deepest suffering and biggest struggles um have been like the greatest centering points of my life and where all my direction is and jujitsu i feel like correlates right into that you know you have to suffer you have to be okay with what's happening and be able to you know think calmly and objectively and and, and be technical and, and move your way out and fight through things when you need to fight. And, and we can't do this thing alone, you know, and there's that same relation to recovery for me. So I, you know, I found jujitsu, like I said, at a dark place in my life where I was really struggling. And, um, I started Bodhikas about 12 years ago because my life was just as good as the guys that had helped me. And I wanted to pay that forward. And I went into it in like a really naive way, but I've always had this service centered mentality and that's sustained me. Like, um, I really want to leave things better than I find them. And, uh, I want to do good. I want to feel good about the human being I am, but I have this program for young guys who struggle with mental health and addiction. And I've been able to share those path passions of my passions for the outdoors and jujitsu and martial arts. And there's been, martial artists and, and fighters who have come through the program and are also connected to the program and been able to, you know, share jujitsu with them and, and watch them grow on their own jujitsu journeys and just integrate all of these things that, um, I care about, but the guys are there. We're up in the, we take them up in the wilderness, you know, everywhere from the Sierras to Death Valley, the Joshua tree, probably covered over a hundred miles of trail on the John Muir trail. Um, this last year, climb Mount Whitney twice. Um, we just, we get out there. I, I really believe in the grounding effects of nature and how powerful that is. And, um, it's 
same as jujitsu. It's grounding. It's about connection. It's about you and yourself. Um, and it's just very, very honest. You know, it's a, another thing I love about jujitsu, like in, and nature with everything that's happening in the world. It's just very clean, very clear and very honest. You know, it's, it's brutal in its own ways. It has, um, you know, it's beauty in its own ways. And I, I get a lot out of getting, going out there and, and sharing that with, with these guys and seeing how they bring that energy back and, you know, watching some of these guys then when they graduate my program, you know, one I know is right now out on a trip and, you know, he was inspired and he's taking other guys and they went out and did the whole John Muir trail. And I met up with some alumni this year in Colorado. We climbed about, I think I climbed 10 peaks above 14,000 feet this year. And we did a bunch of rock climbing routes and getting to see these guys who were just, you know, really, really struggling in the grips of their addiction and now just thriving in life, connected, rebuilding relationships with their family. You know, nothing makes me happier. Like my life has, is totally filled up um, as a result of that. On, on the on Bodhi Casa, so it's, you know, it's sober, it's, it's basically a, a, a so, and it's a bunch of things probably, but it's sober living. And do you have uh, a big group of people in there at a time, like 10 to 15 people in there? Is it, is it a little smaller, a little bigger um, as far as like the amount of people that you have that you're trying to um, take care of at a, at a certain given time? Yeah. So it's, it's a relatively small program in the scheme of things, you know, like 12, 14 guys. And, um, but they have this like structured, all these things that are geared around, nutrition and meditation. Um, I've also been big in so nutrition. So they're all, everything is based around natural organic foods, not having processed foods, um, starting and ending the day with meditation. We're, we're heavily involved in community service activities. So we do, you know, on average 18 community service days, um, every six months, almost every week, we're doing some type of community service activity. They're getting involved in 12 step recovery. Um, rebuilding their relationships with their family, doing family therapy, training jujitsu, um, doing yoga, and then going out up into the mountains and making these connections. We're close to the beach. We're in Hermosa there. So we go down on the beach. We, you know, we're surfing almost every day and just getting the guys, you know, passionate about life again um, and getting connected with one another. Uh, uh, like, kind of maybe the, the sign of the time of kind of where we're at today, right? That it's, there's probably a lot going on with a lot of people and uh, maybe the word mental health maybe kind of gets overused sometimes and mm -hmm. shouldn't ever get overused. Right. But um, what are like, what are some of the things that you think have, um, have kind of you learned from running a sober living place, dealing with um, multiple people, you know, rich, poor, you know, different set of issues, today compared to when you first started it, what are just some of the things that you think you've learned from them uh, perspective wise on uh, maybe on how to help them or different things that they're going through from the beginning to kind of now? Yeah. Mental health is a broad term. I mean, my understanding of alcoholism and drug addiction, it's a, you know, a mental health disorder, but um, I think the biggest thing is that we're all, we all need each other. Right. But in today's society, it's really easy to feel fragmented and not a part of and disconnected, you know, in the way that we 
receive and share information or beliefs and ideas. People are very divided and, and separated. And I think there's a generation of young adults who come in who they don't know how to live. They don't know how to do basic things to take care of themselves. They weren't taught that. Um, and, you know, through drugs and like really social, like seeking social acceptance through that or trying to self-medicate their own mental health, um, you know, their life starts to, to fall apart. So it's, it's about replacing those connections with something healthy and um, creating that community. I think jujitsu does that so well. It's like one of the biggest benefits is this massive social club, you know, in many regards. And um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like we all, if life's just about us, you know, or just about myself, I can speak for myself, then it's really, really small. You know, I think life's about helping one another and we all bring something unique and different to the table. And we can't do any of this, you know, on our own. We can't do jujitsu on our own. We can't do life on our own. So it's like, how do we show up for one another? And that's why I see for these guys is like, they don't, they don't have that or they weren't, you know, they come from broken families or there's abuse or there's trauma or, you know, they have some type of learning disability or executive functioning and people don't have the patience to help them. So they're really isolated by their mental health and they need friendships. They need connection. You know, they desperately, they want that. They don't have self-esteem, you know, they feel like failures um, and they feel alone. So and I think jujitsu and, and recovery do a good job of not having you feel alone, you know, and there's every walk of life in there in, in both pools, you know, guys from the, you know, stock brokers to, you know, guys working at the car wash. And I've always loved that about jujitsu. And I love that about uh, recovery. It's very human. It's one place I think where, again, going back to honesty, people are just completely honest with one another. And I, I, I greatly appreciate that. I value that kind of that level of honesty when things are very, you know, I don't know, on the surface, it seems like at least my judgment of it, right. is on the surface, right. Things are very external and just this need for more and more and more to be distracted. You know, things are moving so fast to have a place where things are slow and, um, and connected, you know, is valuable to me. On, on that same, on that same, on that same note, Stefan, you, like, what do you, what do you think, um, what do you think are just some things that you've, you've picked up from being around a lot of people that struggle with addiction and mental health and, you know, maybe childhood trauma and stuff, uh, as, as, as a youth, do you, do you, do you think, um, that recovery or, you know, a better environment, replacing an old bad habit, let's say you use drugs, for example, and replacing it with a better addiction habit, um, let's say jujitsu, outdoor climbing, surfing, whatever it may be. Do you think that's the end all be all? Or do you think there's like a lot of like therapy with time to kind of understand the root of the trauma and everything else to kind of just be self-aware for it to kind of have like a big picture? Um, um, or a better success rate without just kind of like band-aiding it with, let's say, Hey, now you just train jujitsu, but you're doing it like obsessively, uh, or you're doing going outdoors like for five hours a day or 10 hours a day. And 
you just kind of bridged it. Um, what's your, what's your take on, on that and like the whole big picture of, of everything as a whole? Well, one, I think it's, um, it's okay to not be okay. And a lot of people don't, don't think that, you know, everyone wants to just present like everything's, you know, okay. But we, we develop reflexes, right. And habits. And, um, so it takes time to create new habits and, and reflexes. And that's why having structure and having things to do, I don't, I don't know if it's just like replacing it, but I think that you, you know, anything that's a, like a defect or can also be an asset, you know? So as you said, having like an obsessive compulsive, compulsive nature, for instance, right. Or a lot of addiction and depression is the inability to cope and manage with stress. Um, so being able to, you know, jujitsu is another great place. I, I just see so many parallels, like being able to create stress and, you know, consistently be able to deal with that stress and then feel empowered through that. Um, once you start to actually feel like you have power and control and direction that you can do something different about it. But I don't, I don't know if it's banding. I think it's so many different levels. I think therapy helps. I think, you know, 12 step recovery helps, but it's, it's a lot of different elements, you know, it is, um, who you're surrounded with, you know, it is the environment that you're in. It is trying to like really radically break old patterns, um, and create something new if you want to. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't able to do that. You know, that's the other side of it. And people, there's a lot of people out there suffering who just don't even get that opportunity. And, um, it's why I believe so much in taking these guys up to the wilderness, um, because they don't flatline in all of that, you know, and it removes all of the distractions and it just creates, again, this like really simple, honest, um, environment. But I think, you know, I'm super obsessive compulsive just by nature. And that's helped me, you know, really channel and accomplish all my goals as well. So, you know, what before was a huge handicap, you know, I've been able to put all my energy into jujitsu and that's been wonderful or photography and teach myself really. I was self-taught, you know, just cause I felt like through my addiction, I wasn't able to follow my passions. And then that was just like a narrative I told myself, you know, and recovery and, and jujitsu taught me, I can really go do anything if I show up, you know, if I'm willing to show up. No, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but if I show up consistently, things will change. Things will get, get better. You know, on, 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 you talked about photography stuff and you, um, I think a lot of people, maybe even a lot of listeners, especially if they're jujitsu listeners, they've seen your photos, um, you know, time in time out. And, you know, like you're very, you're, you, you use black and white, um, a ton in your work, especially with the brand and with the fight land and vice and everything else back in the day. And then it starts to trend really hard within the space and a lot of other companies and brands and places to start to use it because it was like inspirational for the space at the time. Um, when did you start getting into photography and who are just some of the favorite fighters that you shot with in, in, in the past? Yeah, I, th- my, I come from like a family of artists in general. So I was around the arts. My grandmother's a, was a famous opera singer. My mom was a ballerina. My aunt and uncles are painters. Um, my cousin's a painter. 
And so I was exposed to, you know, going to the opera and going to museums and just like always was really encouraged to be creative. And my parents bought me a, my first film camera. I don't know when I was a teenager and I got a job working at a, a dark room here in, in uh, Santa Monica at the time where I would be able to like develop film and work there. So I could work in the work um, for free in the dark room and do all my own prints. And, you know, I entered like the high school thing and I won this, like that Los Angeles high school photography thing. And I got to have this art show at this sculptor, Laddie John Dill studio. And then I really like kind of fell hard with my addiction and I dropped photography and I felt I'd had all these aspirations of like going to school and learning. And I felt just like that wasn't possible. And really I owe everything to my wife. Like I was still fascinated with photography, but one birthday, she just bought me a camera and she's like, you, there's no excuses. You just go take photos. So I started teaching myself photography again. I picked up the camera and I went literally, I mean, it just sounds almost ridiculous, but within like a month, I don't know. I, I shot Crone in his backyard with this uh, samurai sword and he had this, uh, like Moscova underwear on at the time. And they saw that photo, Moscova bought it. And then like the photos were in GQ and Maxim the next month. And then with that money, I bought myself a better camera and I started just taking more photos and the rest is kind of just progressed. But as far as like the favorites, I mean, going to Brazil with, um, with Hickson was and going to the original, like Gracie Humaita, where he used to train, you know, in Rio and, and taking photos of him and spending that time with him and his daughters and getting this, you know, be around that and like having the opportunity to photograph them is probably one of my most memorable, you know, fighting jujitsu experiences. And um, I really wanted to like make an impact in that space because I care about jujitsu and try and make it look more beautiful, I guess. And that's when I started just shooting more and more jujitsu. And I got connected with Mike really through helping someone, which, which was pretty crazy through the universe. And he was at Vice because I helped um, his old roommate's brother's son get off uh, or uh, brother's brother get off meth and um, showed up in the court case. He heard about Bobby Casa as a result. He heard about my photos and he reached out to me and then boom, my photos were in vice. So it's like, everything is interconnected. You know, I just started shooting photos cause I love shooting photos and I'm out here helping people and as a result of like me helping someone in the universe or whatever, then, you know, this other guy advice is exposed to my photography. And then, you know, before I know it, he's, you know, Ray-Ban ad campaigns, you know, for, I just gone out shooting Josh Barnett. And he called me and he said, do you have a photo? Have you ever shot Josh Barnett? And I was like, oh, I'm in the parking lot. <laughs> I just shot Josh Barnett. He's like, oh, they need these photos for, for uh, Ray-Ban wants to buy the photos. And then it was in the, you know, Vice photo annual. It's like a million copies. So I don't know. I've been really like, I think that could probably, I almost hate saying like maybe just piss people off because it's just like was easy, but I, I just been doing what I love and then things have opened up in this really, really cool way where I get to just do everything. Cause you know, I'm passionate about it. Um, 
and outside of that, like probably the other coolest, I got this opportunity to travel with citizens of humanity, this, this company when they were shooting all these icons and supporting these charities, like a all around charity work. And I got to go to India and photograph Desmond Tutu and spend, you know, a week with Desmond Tutu in India and travel around while he was giving peace talks. And there've been some radical stuff that had been happening to women over there. And, um, you know, he left me with something really beautiful that I believe in too. And he said like the key to life is wanting for others, what you want for yourself and then helping them achieve it. And, um, I've really tried to, and I still try to live my life by that, you know? That's pretty strong, man. I mean, and then I, that's like, even just the surface of what, like, I mean, uh, like, like you're like kind of underplaying it a little bit, but like you kind of, you shot so much stuff for citizens, so much stuff for, Ruka, you know, so much stuff for us. Like, there's just so much stuff that like people don't understand when they, they've seen it, you know, but, uh, but like you've done like such amazing work in helping shape the, the look and, the, and the, the, the feel of what jujitsu was at the time, you know, I think in a time where, um, I think jujitsu needed it to be honest, you know, I think like we went through, like there hasn't been too many people that help move, and push the feel and the vibe of what the look is for the generation. And I think that was like, it was, I think it was impactful and it was much needed. And um, I appreciate all the work, man. And I think that's, it, it's amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I mean, you've given me the, like a voice, right. And a platform to do that too. Show Roll's always been like the most innovative and creative brand in that space, you know, and giving me opportunity as the as an artist to express myself and and to do that you know i'm grateful for that as well i'm kind of closing man and kind of end, ending a little bit what i mean let's say man you seem like you live a pretty well balanced life what what do you what do you end with man like let's say what are what are things you hope uh you know your kids and you know people at bodhi can carry on just like from a from a life standpoint from things that you've seen work with friends and family and people to kind of help them with their everyday life. Just some advice on how to help their, their personal life and growth um, through therapy and, and recovery. What's some of the advice you would give in closing? I think again, like it's all about helping one another. You know, I really, really truly believe that everything good in my life is a direct result of either allowing myself to be helped or helping another human being. And bringing that energy out, you know, into the world and everywhere I go. And, you know, like I said before, leaving people better than I, I find them, whether that's through laughter or listening or, you know, helping someone and not getting caught for it. And I think the other thing is like, you can do like living a passionate life. I think it's important right now to be passionate. And there's so many different issues, right. That people care about that touch on so many different levels from the environment to race, you know, just universally there's so much happening right now and it i think it's important to be passionate about what you believe in and and that and also in in whatever your goals are and that if you show up um you know consistently it's not about like how i feel on every any given day but if i show up like you can materialize anything you can have any kind of life i feel like you truly want if you're willing to work for it you know and go out and fight for it and jujitsu taught me that as well. Like there's not going to be easy days every day. You know, I'm going to go in there and get smashed. I'm going to feel horrible. But if I show up, 
you know, I'm going to move forward. And then there's going to be, you know, this, this progression, I feel like life is the exact same way, but, um, more so than ever, I feel like being connected with one another, being kind to one another, you know, believing in yourself, showing up for yourself so that you can show up for other people, being passionate about life is, is so important, you know, and changing the energy out there. Cause there's a lot of intense negative energy and suffering and fear, you know? So, so like how, what can I do as a human being to have an effect on that and, and not add to that, you know, but, but hopefully, you know, hopefully add something to the other side. Seth, that was beautiful, man. And I, I, I thank you for your time and I appreciate you jumping on and just sharing uh, a bunch of stuff that you've, you've been on. We've never had a lot of these talks. Uh, we've had different kinds of talks, uh, some along the same lines, but I really appreciate you jumping on, man. And, um, and feel free to close up anything you want to add on it, man. So I appreciate it. No, I'm super thankful for you and Mike for even involving me in this. And, um, you know, I've always been grateful to both of you, you know, for what you've allowed me to do and being creative and supporting me and supporting jujitsu as a whole and, and the arts. And, um, so just thank you. I'm, I feel honored to be a part of this. Thanks. So you have a great day, man. And, um, I hope you have a blessed, blessed weekend with you and your family, man. So, uh, take it easy out there and we'll talk soon. Man. You too. Much love. Letters. great to catch up with Stefan, just kind of talk about some of the old days in jiu-jitsu, fixing Grace tea on all the guys, and then also kind of just diving into mental health, staying active, and how important that is to, you know, your overall well-being. So uh, that's it for another podcast, guys. Thank you very much for jumping on to Clock Choke, and until next week, I hope to see you guys again. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm.